Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Consider the things that are that are very important to you in your life and focus on those. And not that you can't care about other things, but focus on the things to give a flip about. That's been really helpful. You know, I, I still do care, you know, what, what people think of me. And, you know, if this situation were to, to happen again, I, I know I'd be stronger because what I've kind of said to myself is, hey, I have a job to do. It's a, it's a hard job sometimes. A lot of times it's very easy, but it's my job and that's what I'm hired to do. And just like this last experience, I will get through it. I'll be able to recover. Benjamin Franklin once said, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad one to lose it. But what do you do when it's someone else's deeds and words that chip away at what you're known for publicly? As this week's guest, Jennifer Cunningham, knows and teaches others, you have to keep your eyes on the values that matter to you as you look to bounce back from a crucible that leaves you feeling defeated and humiliated. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show and the communications director for Crucible Leadership. Give a listen now as Jennifer discusses with Warwick the hits her reputation took at work and how she is applying the lesson she learned from that painful experience to help others repair their good name when it's been tarnished. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for being here. I love what you do, you know, repair your reputation, recover confidence, dealing with shame and humiliation that sadly is all too common in the uh, organizational and business world. Uh, with the media, social media, it's probably just gotten worse, I would guess. So uh, sadly, in one sense, there's a lot of people that need your help. It would be a wonderful day if it's like, we're all good. Shame and humiliation don't exist. We don't need you. You'd be like overjoyed, I'm guessing, if that <laughs> yeah. was the case, you know, in one <laughs> in one sense. So I know you've had your own crucible, but just, and you, you live in Southern California, understand, just give us a little bit of the backstory of Jennifer growing up, family, just you know, sort of the before work world, if you will, Jennifer, tell us a bit about, about yourself. Sure. Now, thank you for asking. And I, it's a pleasure for me to be here, a real honor. Uh, so pretty typical um, background. My, my dad was a school teacher and my mother, she worked in the um, aerospace industry. I have three siblings and um, grew up in kind of a normal neighborhood, pretty, pretty good, um, you know, upbringing, played a lot outside and, had some, you know, early on had some teasing issues. I was a little chubby and I wore glasses and um, I got teased a little bit. Uh, but all, all of those things kind of helped my resilience, I think. And um, then kind of, you know, my way and graduated high school, college, all of that, and got my degree and my first degree in behavioral science. And then I have, um, I went on to get higher education in conflict management and counseling. I'm married and I have no children. I have a dog, so he's kind of my baby. And <laughs> um, no, no serious, you know, uh, 
traumatic experiences. And um, perhaps that's why what happened to me impacted me uh, the way it did. So it's interesting. Sometimes there's a backstory with difficult, you know, parenting or searing incident in high school. But unfortunately, a lot of kids go through teasing about, you know, body image, what have you. And it's never pleasant, but it sounds like, you know, some people retreat. It sounds like you're the person that deals with things, doesn't retreat, doesn't let silly people, silly incidents with kids define you or rock your world. Or does that make sense? I mean, you probably didn't like it, but it didn't sound like you were hiding under the covers for all of high school and says, Mom, I, I don't I don't want to go to school. It doesn't sound like you were that kid, right? Now, from you know, from an early age, there's something innate uh, about me and my personality. And it, it I, I don't want to trivialize what I'm gonna say, but I have to be happy. I and I don't mean twenty four hours a day, but I sure. have to have that um peace of mind in my life. I just I can't be sad or unhappy. I just couldn't live that way. Would you say you're the kind of person that you don't let things get you down? Like, it's like, you know, it was unpleasant, but got to find a move way to move on. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to sit here and sulk and be unhappy. It's like, life's good. Let's get out there and play and enjoy and be with nice friends and that kind of attitude to life. Yeah, I think that's part of my process. Um, when something happens, I do, I do feel it. I do feel a sting. And there may be a period of time where I, you know, kind of retreat and, and assess things. But once I kind of give myself that space to sulk, then I just get right back into it. I, I start, you know, um, reading or meditating or doing something to help myself. It's, it's just my nature. You're not somebody to, I don't mean to be graphic, but you're not somebody that stays in victim mode and feel sorry for yourself. It's like, that's just not your way. You know, it doesn't mean it's fair or right, but you're not going to sit there and be a victim, if you will. I'm, I'm definitely an action taker. I, I move to, to make myself um, feel better and, and get, you know, back to being the happy person that I like to be. And I guess everyone around me likes to see. Well, that's, that's great. So it's, it's so fascinating before this incident happened, which we'll get to, you mentioned you got a degree in counseling and organizational behavior. And what, what led you to do that? I mean, what motivated you to say, well, I really want to study this. So, um, you know, I've always been kind of fascinated with human behavior. So that was kind of, you know, my bachelor's degree. I thought at that time I would be a psychologist. And then, um, you know, I, I put myself through school. I worked full time. I didn't take out any loans or anything. So the, the idea of getting however many thousand hours you have to get to be a licensed psychologist kind of went by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And I, but I always worked in kind of helping fields. I worked, um, you know, I worked in the jail system for a while. Um, I, I've kind of always been a community educator, and then I found myself working in higher education, mostly for the bulk of my career as a, um, as a career counselor. So helping students with, you know, resume prep and interviewing and um, mm. finding a job and having to, being successful on the job. Um, and then when I was in that role, uh, one of the benefits of working at the university that I worked at was that you could take classes free of charge. And I'm always about <laughs> trying to get value out mm-hmm. of a situation. So I said, okay, well, I'll get a, I'll get a second master's degree in counseling. And um, that time the motivation was that it could advance my career 
um, in higher education. And I was going to also get licensed at that point to be um, in California, what they call a, a marriage and family therapist. Um, and again, you know, I was already, I was at a time in my life and age where I kind of didn't want to go do the hours that I needed to do with, without making an income. So I stayed in my job and then I just, you know, I just used the background to, to launch me into other areas. So interesting. You've always had this desire to help people. And you mentioned everything in conflict management and counseling and uh, higher education, maybe altruistic. Not everybody wants to help people, but sounds like that's just in your DNA, I'm sure, from the earliest, which is, which is wonderful. So, so with this as a background, you had a crucible experience in a you know university situation. So why don't you? And obviously, I know with you know HR and all, there are certain legal things you can't get into. But just in your own words, talk about that incident and how that sort of did seem to be a turning point in your life, if you will. So you know, describe it in your own words. So as I mentioned, you know, I was working as a career counselor, and um, I had been in that role for about eight years and really a beloved staff member at the university students. I have a whole, you know, lunchbox full of thank you notes from students that I've helped, which is really rewarding. Um, And then I uh, kind of accomplished what I could in that role. And at the time they needed someone to step into another position that aligned with my background. And in that position, you know, I was really um, involved in making very unpopular decisions. There was usually two parties and one party would be happy with the outcome and the other party generally wasn't. So in that role, um, you know, I had to uh, make some decisions and, and what happened was I think a group of students maybe that were, I don't know this for fact, but maybe that were um, bolstered by some faculty who considered themselves kind of activists they really did a a smear campaign on me. And, you know, I came to work one day and there were posters all over the campus asking for, for me to be fired and calling me incompetent and um, quoting me as having said some really horrible things, which I I would never say. Anyway, they, I think that they just misunderstood what my role was. And my role was to be a independent and unbiased fact finder, not an advocate for one person or the other person. Um, so that's kind of what happened. And um, it was, it was caused a real, a real uproar within the student body and, uh, you know, really throughout the whole campus, it, it grew into this <laughs> kind of big monster. And so I went, like I said, from being re- very popular and beloved to kind of enemy number one among the, the students. The students and the faculty and the staff that knew me knew the, you know, the truth, but there were a lot of people who didn't know me. So I'd walk onto campus and people would look at me funny and you know, wonder if I did and said the things that I was accused of saying. And uh, in the end, you know, the, the university administration did their own audit of uh, my work, and you know, I uh, I was I was confident that I had done the right things and made the right steps. So, in that way, it all worked out to, to my benefit. Um, but it was still very traumatic for me. I mean, it's here you are. You know, again, we're not going to get into details because of you know HR and all. You you were working with the student body. You know, fact finding. You know, one situation. You know, one student group of students versus another you know you're just trying to make an independent analysis but yet because of 
you know, propriety and, and totally understandable, you know, uh, HR practice, you're not able to defend yourself. You're not able to say, well, here are the facts. How would you rule in these facts? Here's all the facts. This is why I rule. Now, that would have probably helped you. Would it have made a difference? There's no way of knowing. Sometimes if people get an idea in their head, no amount of facts will sway them from their viewpoint. But you weren't able to do that, and nor from the university's perspective or from yours, nor should you be able to do that because it, it's confidential. And, you know, it was not good for you, but I'm sure you would agree it was the right thing to do to keep it confidential, right? Absolutely, so yeah. It's not like the university was to blame it all. They were doing what was the appropriate and right thing. But that must have been frustrating in which those who had a right to know knew that what you were doing was right. The university ordered it, said, yes, you handled it correctly. But yet you were not able to publicly defend yourself against the accusation. So it was like they're hitting you and you got your arms tied behind your back. Understandably, no fault of the, of the institution. But yet, you know, you were sort of humiliated and shamed and you couldn't defend yourself. That must have been, as you just mentioned, an action-oriented person. So frustrating. It's like you want to tell people the truth but you're not able to, even though you yeah. agree that you shouldn't be able to. Yeah, it was still must have been immensely frustrating. It was very frustrating. Yes, it was. I I couldn't. I really couldn't talk to anyone. Um, you know, my boss. Um, and that's who I. You know, I was able to get a lot of, of it out. Um, of course, you know, when I came home, um, I you know I told my husband everything and, you know, I would uh, whine to him. And I, and one of the things I mentioned is, you know, it started causing me relationship issues because my husband wanted his fun loving wife back. And so did my friends and family and uh, my health suffered. I couldn't sleep well. And um, I was drinking more than I normally would. And, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good time. It was, it was very frustrating. So what, I mean, without getting too graphic, but what were some of the things that they were saying about you that caused you so much pain? Uh, mostly that I was incompetent, that, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what my job was, which was just so ridiculous because, um, you know, I knew exactly what my job was. And then I guess the other thing are these these quotes that they quoted me as saying, which, you know, any any person born after after a certain year would know not to say something mm -hmm. like I was quoted as saying. So, um, and, and I guess the what you know bothered me the most was the feeling then that you you walk into your normal workplace and suddenly you're you know the 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 person to avoid, the person to distrust, the person, and you know students would have to come to me after that for different reasons. And then they always entered my office with a little bit of like, you know, uh, distress, like, does she know how to do her job? Is she going to be fair to me? Is she, you know, going to do something wrong? And so I was watching every step I made, everything I said, I was just being very like, you know, when a student would come into my office, I would, um, normally I would greet them and ask them, you know, a little bit about themselves. Where are you from? How did you get here? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, students were even reluctant to even share just kind of very basic information with me. Um, as I was trying to build rapport, you know, I was trying to, to ease their, you know, a lot of students come into my office very agitated and very stressed out because 
typically it's not, <laughs> it's not a good reason why they come to see me. Um, and so I would do my best to try to make students feel comfortable um, and let them know that, hey, I'm just here to look at the A and B facts and put them together. I have no, I have no judgment on you. And um, suddenly was, you know, students wouldn't open up to me and it, was, it made my day-to-day job very challenging. And that aspect of what you just said, I, I want to make sure the listeners grasp this because I've been fascinated ever since we first you know, started talking offline, uh, Jennifer, about humiliation, public humiliation being, it's, it's both a crucible and it's also an amplification of a crucible. Um, and you got both barrels of it. We've heard the phrase, you know, X, Y, or Z is the gift that keeps on giving. In some ways, in, 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 what you've just described is a crucible with a contrail, a crucible with a tail on it. Um, you went through this moment and it affected the way people interacted with you. It was day to day. There were new implications, new ramifications for you because your reputation was had taken that hit. And I think uh, that makes public humiliation kind of a unique sort of crucible experience or a an aspect of a crucible experience because what's there on on Monday um, by Thursday you could have even more to it there's even more presuppositions about you so that had right. to make it I, I would think that makes public humiliation its its own unique kind of crucible what makes it such a such a damaging destructive crucible I, I think you touched on that is um, it was not only was I triggered, the first time when I walked into the office and saw all these, you know, posters posted all over the place. But then I was triggered daily for weeks until really uh, what, you know, what ended it was when the students that that did this particular action, when they left the campus, when they graduated and were gone. So it stayed with me. And every time, you know, uh, another incident would come up that called for my um, investigation skills. Um, I would be triggered again in some way. So it was, um, and, and still am to some degree, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm much more, you know, confident and kind of let it roll a little bit more now because I, I partly because I've listened to so many people's stories and I think, wow, I, you know, what I went through in comparison is really nothing compared to what some people have gone through in their lives. And um, it helps me put that in perspective. I think, you know, the, the result probably were the same because it's a shock to your system, but you know, some people have greater resilience than others. And um, so I don't want to discount anybody's experience, but kind of comparing mine to some other people's were, you know, it, it, it helped in a way. And I just kind of ironically, right before this, this situation happened. I was preparing and did the curriculum for a student presentation because there had been some online bullying where students were harassing other students. And I had made this presentation about how to, you know, apologize and how to say you're sorry if you sent a post, for instance, to another student that um, wasn't what you really meant to say. And so I was kind of <laughs> going through my own, um, you know, my own verse, uh, my own live course as this was, you know, going on. So it was a really interesting time. 
You know, I, I just wonder as I'm listening, and obviously listeners know I've got I have some experience with shame and humiliation. <laughs> so, in my own uh, story in the 150-year-old family newspaper business, and you know, terrible headlines and car- editorial cartoons, but I wonder if part of it is you have this image of yourself as being a fair fact finder. You're not here to judge, or you're here to assess the situation and let the facts be what they may and appropriate consequences. So for somebody to see you as some hatchet person with an agenda or some persona that's 180 degrees from who you are, and again, you couldn't defend yourself, that that had to have hurt. It's like, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not this scary hatchet person out to torpedo your academic career. Absolutely. I'm just here to find the facts. I'm not judge. I'm not jury. I just find facts. I'm not the executioner here. I don't have this black hat and this big guillotine or something. I'm not here to hurt you. Was that part of kind of that persona thing you were going through? Yeah, exactly. And not only was I not the hatchet person, I was, I prided myself, you know, in my prior role of being the the caregiver, you know, the, the students would come to me and, and I would take such care with them and in, in really trying to drill down on what it is they wanted to do with their lives before they left the university and spent so much time uncovering what that really meant in terms of a career. And, um, you know, in retrospect, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the best move for me to move into this other role, but then it kind of, you know, propelled my life in a different direction that has, has turned out okay too. But um, yeah, exactly what you say. I'm, I'm here to help you get, get through this situation. And, you know, these, these students have a lot to lose, um, many of them, because sometimes they get sent home and, um, and I know the impact of the decisions that I make. So um, I take it very seriously. But obviously you understand and they should that there's consequences of our actions. Absolutely. If we choose to act in ways that are hurtful to other students or to ourselves, there are consequences and people have to take responsibility for their actions. You're not here to judge, but yeah, when some, when you think of yourself as a caring person who's there to help, and some are viewing you as this hatchet person that, oh, Jennifer Cunningham, she revels in students' misery. She's there to kind <laughs> of just make people just be in pain or whatever people are twisting. And it's like, that's not me. That's not me. So obviously... Um, how did you get beyond that? Because it's, okay, the students left, but there is still lingering perceptions. It's like with me and the whole $2 billion takeover debacle. That happened in like 1990 when the company went under. Well, there aren't too many journalists. There's some journalists still around, you know, however many 30 years later, but even the younger ones, they go do the research in the archives, which is all online. And so their perception is is they inherit the perceptions of generations of journalists. It's like, oh my gosh, does it does it ever uh, die? I mean, just by one way of example, just the other days, you know, I've got a book coming out in October, and I have, you know, you want a free chapter, you know, it's all part of the promotion, which you do. I have a great team, and so they got the free chapter signed up, and there was this gossip column article probably within the last week. And, you know, uh, you know, they talk about me being an exile in America and all that. And, you know, Warwick will tell you his story for a price. It's like, who sells their book for nothing? 
<laughs> I mean, come on, really? I mean, you know, and it was just snarky stuff. And yeah, did I mind? Yes, I minded. Now, I'm a big boy. A few days went by and I got over it. Does it irritate me? Yes, of course it does. But it's like, oh my gosh, will this image never, will they ever cut me a break? And in the case of Australian journalists, the artist, probably no. They will never cut me a slack. And I perpetually will be 26 years old and this young, naive kid that could have had it all and was impatient and blew the whole family legacy and a little simplistic. But yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, can you stop doing this? But it's like, no. They'll still do the stupid, snarky stuff. So One of the parts that was interesting about that experience, uh, based on what you were saying earlier, Jennifer, you used the word triggered, uh, that there were certain things that happen that when they happen again uh, can trigger. And Warwick, I watched you. Um, in fact, I'm the one who discovered the article when it came out. And I, <laughs> I withheld it a day because you had had a day where you got some not great news in certain areas. And I didn't want to hit you with, and at the end of the day, here's another bit of bad news. But there was a bit there in that article. They did an editorial cartoon. Mm -hmm. The first one probably done on you or that you've seen in more than 30 years. And right. I knew that was going to... Right. trigger you that was going to not be something that you enjoyed and i and that is powerful evidence of the impact that being publicly humiliated can have what is and i don't want to dwell too much on this cause i want to get back to you jennifer but just in terms of triggering it's like it sounds weird to say this but i pride myself a little bit like you on being a caring person i'm here to help people I've even told my publisher, I don't care whether this book sells one or 10,000. I'm going to do my level best to make it successful. But it's not about money. It's about helping people come back from failure and setback to live a fulfilling life, what we call a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. So it's like when they start saying, oh, he'll do it for a price, it's like that gets at the heart of my own persona because that's not why I'm doing it. And so it's like, Really? So that's when it really irritates, right? Like with you, yeah. when they accuse you of being this uncaring hatchet person. It's like, but that's not who I am. But anyway, so getting back to you. <laughs> so help me understand, hey, I mean, I don't know that you ever fully get over stuff, but you, how, how you got more, you moved on as best you could. And, you know, obviously I'm sure now you're, you know, we have our bad days, but overall sounds like you're probably a relatively happy, fulfilled person. We all have our bad days, but... How did you get beyond something that you could never defend yourself? How did you heal and get beyond it? Well, at the very beginning, I actually consulted a, you know, a defamation attorney um, because I was so, you know, upset by this. And, um, you know, that the person that I worked with was just phenomenal and, and just gave me some really basic things to think about. He's like, well, first of all, you really don't have a case because you have to prove that they meant to, you know, hurt you. Um, so and I couldn't prove mm -hmm. that because they could just say, well, this is what we thought. So that went out the window. But then what I started to do is, and, you know, in retrospect, that would have been really stupid for me to sue over this. It, mm -hmm. it just, it, it would have been a waste of time and a waste of money. So I'm so glad that that didn't happen because, you know, sometimes you just have to do nothing. <laughs> that is one thing you can do is do nothing. But for me, right. what I did is I started reading everything I could, not only about people that have had these types of experiences but, um, you know, then I just kind of del delved into, uh, again, like my spiritual life. I always kind of had a spiritual life. I'm not a really religious person, but when my life is going well, I kind of put those things on hold. Like I kind of stopped meditating and mm -hmm. stopped doing the things and, mm -hmm. and 
I realized, nope, need to start doing that again. And so I, I did that kind of work. And then um, it just hit me one day. I said, you know, I have got to turn this around. I, I became familiar with the concept called post-traumatic growth. And um, mm-hmm. that's where people that have had crucible experiences have turned it into something, you know, better um, or some, a gift or, you know, um, turned it around. So I decided what could I do with my background uh, around this? And I, uh, you know, I'm going to help people that have gone through this because, you know, more and more with our social media, just like your experience, Rorick, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, anybody can say anything about you and it lives online uh, for a long time. People that have had these experiences, even if it's just like a business owner getting a bad review, it affects your psyche. And I know that there are so many people out there that are suffering. Maybe they're doing the the work on the on the front end, trying to get it removed from the internet, or you know, um, trying to kind of take steps to rebrand themselves. But there's an emotional piece to it too, or a psychological piece, and those are the people that I help. And, um, and so that's what I did. I just, I got a coaching certificate. I used my counseling background and that's, that's where I am now. And, and, and I do that part-time. I still have a, a job, full-time job, but I, I coach people, you know, on the side. Wow. And so you really leaned into your pain, if you will, and helping people with shame and humiliation. And as you're doing that, how has that affected your persona as you're you know really putting forth so much energy and passion into caring for others what's that done for you personally oh it's just it's been wonderful just first to be trusted by people where people come and they tell me these stories that are just so you know i can hear the pain in their voice it's so hurtful and how it's impacting their lives and i find that you know it usually bleeds into one if not the three areas of either their relationships, their career, or their health. And many times it's often all three that are being affected. Um, You know, there's a sense of gratification in not only, you know, hearing of trauma, but also providing them help to, you know, to move beyond it. So um, there's one uh, thing that I want to mention that was very helpful in my case, Mm -hmm. um, EMDR therapy. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it stands for eye movement resensitization therapy. I don't know if I have that that name correct, but um, it's a a type of therapy that's very fast. And it was originally used with, you know, war veterans who would come back with PTSD. And um, it's very effective for a lot of people. So if any of your um, listeners are experiencing something like Mm -hmm. that, they may want, Mm -hmm. they may want to consider that. And I did that as well. It was very helpful. So I'm sorry, I <laughs> kind of drew a blank on what that question was. I kind of went off into La La Land there. No, no, no. No, just kind of ha- just how what you, um, when you're helping people, how that affected your own healing process. Oh, it yeah. sounded like it did. And certainly in in my case is, you know, just writing this book, and uh, which was pretty painful. In, you know, in your case, you know, look, I wasn't there, but as far as I can see, you know, you didn't really do anything wrong. It was unfair. In my case, it wasn't all my fault, but I certainly had my, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. I just made some stupid decisions and naive assumptions. But still, as I'm trying to, you know, write this book, which was painful, talking about some of the dumbest, stupidest decisions you've made in life. uh, But as like with this podcast or just chatting to people, as you feel like 
you know, helping people, it's sort of this healing balm. There's this healing component to it. It doesn't mean the scar ever totally goes away, but it feels like, okay, I know this is oft-used phrase you've heard a million times, but using your pain for a purpose, there's no question there's a healing component in that. You know, not naive enough to say, oh, it all goes away, but does it help? You know, and obviously, you know, counseling, therapy, coaching, that's all good. I mean, I think, you know, I've gone down my you know share of all that. But there's something about leaning into your pain and using it to help others. It does help you get beyond it. it I mean, it certainly feels like it helped you get beyond what you went Absolutely. through. I mean, largely speaking. So, and you know, it gives often there's a passion that comes out of our crucibles. And you are, you know, you have a passion for that because you know what it means to be shamed and humiliated. So one of the things I'm just curious about, curious about to get your thoughts on, um, one of the things I talk quite a bit about is, which is easier said than done, is, you know, not seeing your sense of self, your inner persona tied to what other people think of you. It's very easy to say this, I realize. It's probably any psycho- any good psychologist or spiritual teacher would say that. Certainly, I'm, from my Christian faith perspective, that's obviously, from a faith perspective, it's more, you know, you're loved unconditionally by God, and therefore, it doesn't really matter what other people think, and easy to say, tough to live. But do you chat to people about, you know, it's always going to wound when somebody says something nasty to you. It just is. But just... You know, it's like exercise. Strengthen those inner spiritual muscles that say your value as a human being doesn't depend on what every other idiot out there, to your coin a phrase, thinks of you. Yes, if somebody you dearly love and respect says, "Boy, you you have some issues," okay, that might dent you a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but does that make sense? Yeah. It's like try to separate your sense of self-image from what every idiot out there says of you. And, you know, there's a, a, a book um, right now that I recently read has kind of an off title, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. And it's been actually... A flip? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> it's a four-letter word, flip. So, And it's a, it's a very startling t- title, but there's some really uh, good little gems of, of wisdom in there. And basically, the, you know, the gist of it is, Consider the things that are that are very important to you in your life, and um, focus on those. And not that you can't care mm-hmm. about other things, but focus on the things to give a flip about. That's been really helpful. You know, I I still do care. You know what what people think of me, and you know if this situation were to to happen again, I I know I'd be stronger because what I've kind of said to myself is, hey, I have a job to do. It's a, it's a hard job sometimes. A lot of times it's very easy, but it's my job and that's what I'm hired to do. And just like this last experience, I will get through it. I'll be able to recover. Well, I think it's a bit like exercise. So, you know, when that thing happened a week or so ago, yeah, I didn't like it, but you sort of go through it, whether, you know, it's meditation, prayer, my, you know, chatting to my wife, some close friends and it's just, boy, this is irritating. And, uh, it's like, you know, I think I'm actually helping people. And, you know, really, you know, you can hear what Warwick's story for a price. And there were other snarky things like um, uh, he talks about failure. Well, he has a lot of experience uh, with that, doesn't he? Uh, I mean, just every little thing. Uh, it's just the snarky stuff like, okay, you know what? And they probably weren't journalists back when this was happening. But it's 
there are some people that love, I wouldn't say causing others pain, but just being snarky for the sake of it. You know, just, you know, their job is to write stuff just to be snarky, just because maybe snark sells. <laughs> I don't know. Definitely. And it's true. It's true in this day and age. And this is one of the things uh, that I wanted to ask you about, uh, Jennifer, is that the art of humiliation is easier thanks to the science of social media, right? I mean, the fact that this, right, this was an Australian newspaper that has an online presence and I got an alert because it said Warwick Fairfax and that's my job to find out stories about Warwick. I mean, it's it's a lot easier. It's it's easier for the mob to gather online than it is on person, yeah, absolutely. right? So that that amplifies this that amplifies this to to quote Spinal Tap 11, doesn't it? It, it, it? It's so true. I mean, that's one of the concepts I remember from one of my early psychology classes. They were talking about, you know, war and how, you know, back in the old days, you know, people would stab each other or beat each other up, you know, face to face and hand to hand combat. And, and then when we started, you know, getting further away with bullets and arrows and, you know, it kind of went out, uh, lots more killing can happen because you're not looking that person in the eye. And I kind of use that as a metaphor for, you know, social media where you're just behind this shield and, but there's a lot of regret that can happen from social media and a lot of really horrible things. There's a, another great book by John Ronson. So you've been publicly humiliated. I don't know if you've read that book, but I have yeah, some really bad story. And, and this is, you know, at the, at the forefront of social media. And I always think of, um, Monica Lewinsky and, you know, she, she is mm. my hero in so many ways, not because of what she did, but who she became and her resilience when she had this experience at such a tender age in her life, um, that for many women would have just done them under, they would have taken their own lives. So, um, I really just admire her and what she's done. And it's hard to change that persona. You follow it probably closer than I do, but it seems like there are some women's groups, some advocates that said, you know what, maybe we didn't give her enough of a fair hearing. And there, you know, so it's, which is nice, but that persona, boy, my gosh, it's hard to change, yeah. you know. Uh, but one of the questions I have in all this is when you're working with folks you're counseling and coaching, just the role of, of forgiveness. Because I know for me, uh, I mean, look, I've had, whether it's my own family, you know, when you have a wealthy family, there's always interesting dynamics and stuff that goes on. Uh, but you know, or forgiving people that, you know, I mean, I had some advisors that probably weren't the best. I mean, there's, I probably have a list of people that I've had to exercise that muscle with. But talk about the role of forgiveness as you're counseling folks in being able to move on from shame and yeah, humiliation. so huge. And I think a lot of times when people hear forgiveness, they think, oh, so I just let that person off the hook. They did this horrible thing to me. I just, okay, everything's better. You know, it's, a, it's for you it's for the person who's been wind right. wounded. And there's this great exercise that I give to some of my clients where I have them write a forgiveness letter in the voice of their transgressor saying all the things that they wish they would have said, you know, so it's reversing the roles, mm -hmm. but uh, people get so much value mm -hmm. um, out of that exercise because it's just taking a completely different perspective and it, it really, you know, heals. It's a inner healing. 
but it, it's so important. Oh, I agree. One of the things we talk a, a lot about here is, um, and I'm sure you do uh, as well, the difference between forgiveness and condoning. A, a, a specific action, like, let's just make it extreme. And we've had, sadly, a fair few people that have suffered abuse from, you know, father or mother. And, you know, things that are, you could say, well, that's about as unforgivable as you could get, depending on the severity of it. But yet, um, it doesn't mean condoning, it doesn't mean there aren't legal consequences, uh, and there should be. But as you say, forgiving is for you, because lack of forgiveness, as we put it, it puts you in your own prison, or you're drinking poison. It's like it, it doesn't mean it's okay doesn't mean that you shouldn't, for safety reasons, distance yourself. There's all things that are appropriate mm-hmm. and sensible. But um, yeah, it's, you know, for, you're right. Forgiveness is for you. You've got to be able to move on. You obviously had to forgive those uh, students that were spreading uh, things that weren't true. You know, now, the, in the reality, I find is very few people apologize for anything. We live in an age where it's double down, triple down, and nobody apologizes, whether it's in politics or anything else. It's, it's the age of no apology. So it's always nice to hear, Chuy, I'm sorry, Jennifer, what I did was wrong. Please forgive me. That would be such a blessing. But the reality is people tend not to do that. So it's a lot harder to forgive when you know, and there's wisdom as to when you, do you go to somebody and confront them and ask them to apologize. And that's a wisdom call. Everybody has to make their own call. But yeah. it's often the case, more often the case than it is not, then you have to forgive when there's no apology. And that's tough. But yet it's vital it for is. you. You have to say, look, it's not because they deserve it. I deserve it. You probably have given that talk yeah. a million times. Right to your clients. Yeah, it, it's for your yeah, it's for your own inner peace. And you know, I think with my incident, it could have been Warwick that the people that did this really thought they were doing the right thing. You know, I've never had a sit down with them where we've hashed it out. So I just have to wonder about the motives that they could have been thinking that they were ridding the university of a. Uh, how did you say it? A hatch, hatchet woman or something? Who knows? Well, and that's right. And Who some, knows? you know, young people, you know, they don't always reason as carefully as you know. After you've had a few decades of life, it's part of maturing and growing. So sometimes this, it's very careful, detailed thought. Sometimes it's just not. It's just react and off we go. You know. Uh, so yeah. So as you're kind of dealing with folks with humiliation and shame and what are some of the top things that you try and do? I mean, you, some key principles that you have. So I, um, I, I do have, I have a little, uh, if you, if your uh, listeners go to my website, I have a free uh, guide, six strategies to gathering confidence after crisis. And there's some tips there, but. And let me yeah. step in and do my, my co-host responsibilities and say that website is oh um, reputationrepaircoach.com. Excellent. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure people knew where to go. And there's some, um, there's some tips in there, but you know, I think the first thing is, is talking about it. So whether that means to a trusted friend, to a therapist, to a coach, to uh, someone else who have, you know, someone you trust, but you don't want to stay there too long. You want to talk about it, but then you, you got to move. You got to take some action to heal. Obviously, you know, writing about things, um, writing about your situation, um, getting it all out on paper, that can be helpful. Trying to reframe it, 
you know, was there something that I was to learn here? Was there something that I didn't see? Was, you know, is there a different way I can look at this? Um, that can be helpful as well. Those um, activities around forgiveness are always important too. Um, that's the type of thing with forgiveness. That's the kind of thing I would get into a little bit more with somebody, you know, in a, in a, a session. Um, but there's some really helpful tips in, in the guide. Um, and I say, get the help wherever you can, whatever feels comfortable for you. Um, again, whether that's a therapist, EMDR therapy, a coach, um, clergy, wherever you find your, your sense of, you know, peace in your life is, is where you want to go. And reading and researching. Yeah. Reading and researching. Yeah. I think probably people under who've never been through it underestimate the severity. I mean, when you use post-traumatic growth, which is, I love that concept, it implies that there was PTSD potential, right? And do you find that yeah. that is common among the folks that you work with? It's not just like this little speed bump. Oh, well, it's like it's this potential gut punch, life-changing almost post-traumatic depression kind of thing that it's it's not as easy to get over as people would think. It's not a matter of just, hey, suck it up, uh, you know, be a big boy, be a big girl, just get over it. Life's unfair. I mean, if you've not been through it, it can be easy to say, you know, just get over it, right? But it's not that simple. And I think anybody that would seek me out um, would be a person who you know, it, it has affected, I guess there's probably, you know, people that can weather these storms and think perhaps, you know, I don't want to make a judgment that maybe those folks are narcissistic, but <laughs> you know, if you, right. if you're not impacted, then it kind of is like, do you have, you know, how can you not be? That would be my question. But I know there's people out there that aren't. Do you have a heart? Do you have a pulse? Do you care? Yeah. But maybe yeah, for you, exactly. at the risk of being psychoanalyst, and I'm not a trained, I'm a, I'm a certified coach, but not a trained counselor. Um, do you think part of it is uh, you are a caring person? I mean, you wouldn't do what you've done in terms of your degrees if you weren't caring. And for a caring person to be labeled as uncaring, it's about as much of a knife to the heart as you could possibly get, right? It's sort of like if you were to have to design you know, it's funny being a person of faith, you know, I love C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this book, Screw Tape Letters, that's all about, you know, what's the best way to get a person of light or have a, he phrases things off track. And it's not the full frontal assault, it's, there's all these tactics. So if there was some dark force in the universe that wanted to attack Jennifer Cunningham, what's one of the best ways to attack her? Attack her sense of self around caring, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not... Yeah. You know, is there a fall? I mean, you, you can believe spiritually that there are dark or forces of light, but let's assume that there's something around there. Most spiritual traditions do believe that there's dark and light. Pretty much everyone does. So do you ever think about like, gosh, if they had to design something to really derail me, they did a good job on this one. I mean, it's attacking my sense of self and they're preventing me from striking back. I mean, you know, it was effective kind of deal. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I, I've analyzed, you know, my experience from so many angles, uh, the why and the, you know, if I could have done something differently and, and is it okay that it turned out like this? Is it, you know, I, so I've looked at it from all sides and um, definitely a learning experience. A couple of things is we talk a lot here about learning the lessons of your crucible and sometimes there are lessons to learn. In my case, there are lots because it was 
largely my own fault. Sometimes there are no easy, um, no easy lessons. But you know, it's easy for me to play the what if game again without getting into all the details. What if I talk to other family members? You know, maybe we could have changed management. What if this? What if that? I'm sure you could play out what ifs. The problem with the what ifs is you never get to try them, and it might have been better. Or it might not have been, but you never know. And that's one of the things I'm yeah. guessing you talk to your clients. Lessons learned is good, but the ruminating for months and years on the what ifs that you never get to try, it's not that productive because there's no, it's unanswerable, right? How do you know if the what ifs would have worked because you don't get to play it out? So at a certain point, you got to let go of what if. And, and, you know, there's people out there too that would have an experience like this maybe just as minor as mine was, that would take their own life. They would they would not seek help or they would not get the help they need. And so this can be very devastating. People move their families clear across the country to get away from their reputations. You know, people make some drastic moves in their lives to redeem themselves. Sometimes it never happens. And just one quick thing, one quick thing on this, because I know time is getting short. Um, you said, well, as little as me. See, that, I don't think what you went through was little at all. It was it was devastating. I and mean, that was just horrendous. So, for instance, I've said the same thing as you just said. You know, you know, I could say, well, I lost $2 million. That's a lot, lot of money. But it wasn't like I was out on the street. I've been married to my wife for like 32 years. I have a wonderful family. It's not like life was over, you know. But... Yeah, I've said that to people, and I remember I said it early on in our podcast to a, a Navy SEAL who was paralyzed in, uh, he actually lives in Southern California, he was paralyzed in a training accident. I said, look, what I went through is nothing compared to what you went through. You were paralyzed. And he said, your worst day is your worst day. It's not like a competition. I, I can't tell you how many people, pretty much everybody I've ever said this to on the podcast, and I don't always say it, every single one has said, you know what? It's not a comparison if it's, you know, it's, does that make sense? It's just so easy. Yeah. I'm sure your clients say, oh, what I went through is nothing compared to what you went through, Jennifer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet it's still, it true. it's still, it's painful to you. It's not a competition of who's had the biggest shame. Oh, only thousands of people knew about your humiliation, about your humiliation. Somebody else, maybe millions know about, like Monica Lewinsky. Right. You could say, yeah. well. You know, if she, if you were talking to her, I don't I don't think Monica would say to Jennifer to you, Jennifer. Oh, what you went through is nothing compared to me. I kind of imagine she wouldn't say that, would she? I don't know, but I can't imagine she would. She'd say that was terrible what you went through. That sound that you heard, listener, was the sound of the captain turning on the fastened seatbelt sign, indicating that we have begun our descent. I'm going on longer than I normally do, uh, which means that we're going to have to bring the plane in for a landing soon. But before we do that, I'd be remiss if I did not give you a chance, Jennifer, to tell listeners about how they can find you and what they can find of you and your services online. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. So uh, website, reputationrepaircoach.com, basically my bio, my story, a free gift is available there. Um, and you know, I, what I offer is a, a, a coaching session package. I find that anything less than six mm -hmm. sessions, um, doesn't really uh, do it for this particular subject. If you get the free guide, you are part of my email list. I, I don't spam people. I don't bombard you. Um, 
but if there's something of value that I'm doing, then I like to make people aware of that. As you could tell, hopefully from this interview, I'm very passionate and engaged. Passion is such an overused term, but I'm very engaged in this issue. It's it's really my life mission right now. Um, so I, I love helping people and I can help you if you're suffering. And before I throw it back to you, Warwick, uh, there's something that Jennifer said when we first talked offline that fits exactly like like puzzle pieces with what you just said, Jennifer. And that's this, that you didn't go into business for yourself and you indicated it's, it's still a part-time thing. You're trying to grow that business. You didn't do this to make money. You did it to help people. And that's the very definition, right, Warwick, of what we say about a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. That's that's what makes Jennifer such a a perfect fit for us, a bullseye for us as a guest, right? Absolutely. You're all about caring for others and helping them come back from what you went through. I mean, there's no question. So just maybe a final question. As you're dealing with folks that have gone through devastating uh, public humiliation, shame, what's kind of uh, a word of hope that you would give to those folks? There's a really great quote that I am reminded of uh, by a man named, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, but he uh, produced the um, documentary Just Mercy. Um, and it's, we're not the worst thing we've ever done or the worst thing that's ever happened to us. That gives me peace to remember that, um, and and I hope it does for for you and your listeners too. I'm trying to look up who did Just Mercy, and I can't find it. Brian Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson. I just Brian found Stevenson. it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. That's awesome. Well, I believe that sound that you just heard, listener, was the plane. <laughs> landing on the ground. This is a funny talk about reputation management, Jennifer. I, I used to say in the first perhaps 25 episodes of the show, and this is now we're in our late seventies of the show. I used to say when it was time to, uh, to uh, land the plane, I would say the guys are on the runway with those flashlights. And my <laughs> wife, after hearing me say this through COVID working from home about two dozen times said, you know, they wouldn't do that when the plane's about to land because they'd hit the people with the plane. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's right. That's after that's parking the plane. That's so, take up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the plane has landed without people with flashlights. And um, there's some some takeaways, listener, that I want to give you um, from today's episode with Jennifer Cunningham. I'm going to repeat some of the things that she said because she has five really strong takeaways that she talks to her clients about, about how to move beyond their crucible uh, and the public humiliation that either is their crucible or comes attached to their crucible. Uh, one, as she said, is talk about it, but don't live there. Don't talk about it for too long. Talk about it, get it out, uh, have it be therapeutic, but at some point, then move on beyond it. Uh, two, write about it because getting it down on paper allows for new space. I love that phrase. It allows for new space. If you get it out of your head, out of your fingers, onto a keyboard, onto a piece of paper, it gets it out so that there's new space for you to have new thoughts. Fantastic tip. Third tip, read about it. Understand how other people have persevered. Um, she mentioned on the show, in this interview, a couple of people. Take a look at that documentary she mentioned. Look at some books uh, by some of the folks that she talked to to find out uh, how other people have persevered. And 
in, in the world of, of moving beyond your crucible, I'm not a big fan of saying it's okay to plagiarize, but it is okay to plagiarize in the world of overcoming your crucible. Find out what worked for other people and apply that to yourself because that will help you. Uh, a fourth thing you can do, listener, is reframe it. Is there a silver lining in what happened? Uh, so many of the guests that we've talked to on the show have found the lessons from their crucibles. What was trying to be taught them? What did they need to learn from that? And that is a key key learning to help them move beyond. And then the last thing, which I think is an important, not just in the midst of crucible times, but every morning, this is a great thing to do, or every evening, this is a great thing to do. And the fifth point that Jennifer makes is take inventory of your gratitude. What are your greatest achievements and what are your greatest blessings? Focus on those things because those things will help create new brain space for you uh, as you move forward beyond what it is that you have been facing. So listeners, until the next time we are together, please remember this. Uh, as was discussed here, uh, Jennifer's crucible experience was painful. Warwick's was painful. Uh, uh, the clients that Jennifer uh, works with, their crucibles are painful. The readers uh, and, and, and you who listen to the podcast, your crucibles are painful but they're not the end of your story. If you do indeed find ways to find the silver linings, find ways to find the learnings in the midst of your crucibles and learn the lessons of them and apply those lessons to your life as you move forward, as you move as the show is called Beyond Your Crucible. Far from being the end of your story, the crucibles that you experience can be the beginning of a new chapter in your story. And here's the best news of all. That new chapter in your story can be the best chapter in your story because where it leads you to is a life of significance. Mm -hmm.